Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, continuing our study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Lord, help us as we study the life of this man Luke today that we can learn some things as godly men. In Jesus' name, amen. The former treatise. The former treatise is the gospel of Luke. So if you think of the the work of Luke, you have the book of Luke and then the book of Acts. Luke is volume one. Acts is volume two. Luke, the gospel of Luke, is the history of Jesus' life on earth. Then the, the book of Acts is the history of the first 30 years of the New Testament church. Um, when I was thinking about how to proceed in our message today or in our series on Luke, I'm sorry, on Acts, I thought it'd be good for us to take a little bit of time and investigate what the Bible says about Luke. And you know what's interesting? Not very much. There's not very much in the Bible about him. So let's, let's trace the, the few references to Luke And then what I want us to see is how he was a unique servant of God. He was created and gifted in a very unique way. And we as men can learn some things from Luke that will apply to Father's Day as we enter into this book. So look with me at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4. And look at verse 14. So at the end of the book of Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul is finishing, and he is sending some greetings. And so in verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now, is Demas, is that name familiar to you? We're going to see it in another place. But you see Luke as Paul's constant companion. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 9, Paul writing to Timothy, look at verse 6, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand, so this is the end of Paul's life, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. So he really wants Timothy to come to him. Why? Verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Luke was his constant friend, his constant companion. Look at the book of Philemon. So next you'll have Titus, then Philemon. Look at verse 24. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So Mark and Luke were with him. 
And it's wonderful that God, or that uh, the, uh, the Apostle Paul calls for Mark to be with him, even though they had had a falling out there at the end of 2 Timothy. But here, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So Luke is following Paul. He is with him. He is his constant companion and his constant help. Go to Colossians chapter 4. We learned something else. I know we read this a minute ago. Colossians 4 and verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So he was a physician. So let's spend some time in this, in this life of Luke and learn some things about how God fitted him specifically for the calling that he gave him. And let's learn some things. So number one, and this is so fun, Luke was a Gentile. So when we talk about coming from the Jewish Gospels to the church epistles, God used a Gentile to write the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, remember Matthew, presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. Mark is more Roman as the suffering servant. Luke, Jesus Christ as the perfect man. And then um, John at Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Luke presenting him as the perfect man. It's interesting because he was a Gentile. Not only was Luke a Gentile, he was a Greek. Tertullian, the early Christian writer from the 200s, says that Luke was from, you guys who know anything about church history, Luke was from Antioch. Remember, there's two lines of church history. There's a true line and there's a false line. The true line, they first were called Christians at Antioch, the Bible tells us. So the line of true history and true Gentile church history comes from Antioch. And God used Luke to write the gospel of Luke, where Jesus is presented as the perfect man. But he also used him to write the history of the New Testament church. And they were first called Christians at Antioch. I think it's fun that God allowed Luke to talk about Antioch a lot in the gospel of Luke. And he knew a lot about it. It was his hometown. So Luke was a Gentile and Luke was from Antioch. We also see that he was a doctor and so this giftedness that God gave him, we see that he's very precise. Now, we have, oh, you know what, this is fun. We have talked in the past about the difference between the Jewish mind and the Gentile mind, the Jewish mind and the Greek mind. When you see Jewish writing, it, it's different than Gentile writing. Gentiles, we think in a linear way. And the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts are the most chronological books in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And, and so look at, look at Acts chapter 1. Get Acts 1 and get Luke 1, and then we'll stay in Luke 1 for a minute. Acts 1. Acts 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So he, he's making this of all that Jesus began to do and teach back in Luke. So look at Luke 1, verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth, what are those next two words? In order, 
a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee, oh, what's these next two words again? In order. So Luke's writing is the most chronological. Why is that? Because he was a Gentile. He had a Greek mind, and he was taught in Greek thinking and in the Greek schools to be a doctor. He was a different kind of writer that God used to write these the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So uh, for us, we're very linear. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. I hate it when I'm watching a TV show and it says 24 hours earlier. I don't like flashback scenes. I don't like that kind of thing. Why? I'm very linear. I, I don't care what happened in the past. What's happening now? Let's keep moving ahead. The Jewish mind is, it, it, it curls back over itself. So it would go, rather than a straight line from beginning to end, it goes like this, then circles back, gives a little bit more information, then circles back and gives a little bit more information. The perfect illustration of that is the book of Genesis. Sometimes people criticize the Bible because there are two creation accounts. No, you have the first one in Genesis 1, and then he loops back around and gives us more information in Genesis chapter 2. That's the Jewish mind. And so what God did for in beginning the New Testament is he gave us information in that linear way for the Gentile mind through Luke. And he was scholarly, skillful, and sympathetic. So um, Lockyer, what was his first name? Herman Lockyer? What was Lockyer's first name? Herman? Herbert. Herbert Lockyer. Herbert, thank you, Brother, Brother Thornton. I'm glad he's here. He even said it in English. I'm thankful for that. So Herbert Lockyer wrote a book called All the Men of the Bible, that series, all the apostles of the Bible, all of those. He describes from all of the men in the, in the Bible, he says his qualifications were manifold. Above all, God inspired his words. The long and close companion of Paul sat down in a book, the gospel that Paul loved to preach. He was a very unique man. Now, the heading in Lockyer... Uh, all the men of the Bible, for Luke, is the man who wrote the most beautiful book in the world. The Gospel of Luke is considered the most beautiful book in English literature. And we're going to look at some of those things this morning that, that will identify, man, Luke, what an amazing uh, man God used to write this. Now, the words are God's, right? He gave him the words, but God fitted this man to write those words in his own personality, but the very words that God wanted him to write. It's such an amazing way that God did that. I can't even understand it. But I want to read you something from Charles Spurgeon about the way a preacher is supposed to be. This is C.H. Spurgeon's final manifesto. So his last sermon before the Baptist Union, it was called The Greatest Fight in the World. This particular copy was sent out by his wife to preachers all around Europe. And listen to what Spurgeon says at the beginning of this uh, message. I may say, because he's speaking to preachers, I may say to you as speakers that I am persuaded we should prepare ourselves with diligence and try to do our very best in our, master's, in, in our great master's service. I think I have read that when a handful of lion-like Greeks, now remember, Luke is a Greek, writing with a Greek mind, so I think I have read that when a handful of lion-like Greeks held the pass against the Persians, 
a spy who came to see what they were doing went back and told the great king that they were poor creatures, for they were busied in combing their hair. Can you imagine getting ready for battle and you're combing your hair? Is that interesting? Some of you wish you could do that. Let's, let's keep going. The despot saw things in a true light when he learned that a people who could adjust their hair before battle had set a great value on their heads and would not bow them to a coward's death. If we are very careful to use our best language when proclaiming eternal truths, we may leave our opponents to, to infer that we are still more careful of the doctrines themselves. We must not be untidy soldiers when a great fight is before us, for that would look like despondency. And those of you who are in the military, when you're getting ready, man, you got to have those shoes shined. you got to have your foot locker in order that you'd line up for inspection. Your Everything had to be just right. Is, is, is that true? Is that the way that it had to be? And it might have seemed, seemed silly, but if you prepare in the small things, then when the big things happen, you're ready. And so for the preacher, our tools are words. And we ought to be careful in the way that we communicate. And the older I get, the more careful I'm trying to be in my speech and in how, how careful I am in communicating the Word of God. God chose Luke, who was very specific in his wording and in his use of words, his facility with words. And let's, let's continue to see what Spurgeon is saying about this. I want to reread this last sentence. If we are very careful to use our best language when proclaiming eternal truths, we may leave our opponents to infer that we are still more careful of the doctrines themselves. We must not be untidy soldiers when a great fight is before us, for that would look like despondency. Into the battle against false doctrine and worldliness and sin, we advance without fear as to the ultimate issue. And therefore, our talk should not be that of ragged passion, but of well-considered principle. It is not ours to be slovenly, since we look to be triumphant. Do your work well at this time, that all men may see that you are not going to be driven from it. The Persian said, when, another, when on another occasion he saw a handful of warriors advancing, that little handful of men, surely they cannot mean fighting. But one who stood by said, Yes, they do, for they have burnished their shields and brightened their armor. Men mean business, depend upon it, when they are not to be hurried into disorder. It was a way amongst the Greeks, when they had a bloody day before them, to show the stern joy of warriors by being well adorned. I think, brethren, that when we have a great work to do for Christ and mean doing it, we shall not go to the pulpit or the platform to say the first thing that comes to the lip. If we speak for Jesus, we ought to speak at our best. Though even then men are not skilled by the glitter of shields, nor by the smoothness of a warrior's hair, but a higher power is needed to cut through the coats of mail. To the God of armies I look up. He, may he defend the right. But with no careless step do I advance to the front, neither does any doubt possess me. We are feeble, feeble, but the Lord our God is mighty, and the battle is the Lord's rather than ours. Isn't that good? So, I don't know if you've ever noticed, I care about how the building looks. Joe makes sure that the rows are all straight in the auditorium because y'all sit down and push the chairs back. 
And we care about these little deals. We, we pick up the trash. We make sure it's clean. Why? So that when people come in, they know, you know what? These people are serious about this place. When I communicate doctrine, and we're so careful with the doctrine, why? Because that's the only thing that matters, is the doctrine. We need to be careful in our words. And God fitted Luke for this purpose in a very, very special way. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He told him, follow after the pattern of sound words and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The words matter. The ideas matter. The care that we take in presenting the words, it matters. Our doctrine is important. And Luke was a very special vessel that God called and equipped to do this work. He was gentle. or I'm sorry, he was a Gentile. He was from Antioch. He was a doctor, scholarly, skillful, sympathetic. And he had many, many gifts and qualifications. Now, It's interesting, his specific ministry. So he really had two specific ministries. The first ministry that God gave him was to declare the humanity of Jesus Christ. So as the the apostle John's calling was to declare the deity of Jesus Christ and the fact that he is God, Luke's call was to talk about his humanity, but to elevate him as the perfect man. And that really does impact what he did. But not only that, but he was called to be Paul's helper. He was called to help the Apostle Paul. We're told from history and tradition, whether or not it's true, I don't know, that Paul was sickly. So it's interesting that God had a doctor to travel along with him. Isn't that a blessing? God just gave Paul what he needed. He didn't remove the thorn in the flesh, but he gave him a doctor to travel with him. That's pretty cool, along with the grace to endure it. So that was that was uh, Luke's mission. He emphasized Jesus, the God-man, reaching men. Luke was able to present Jesus as not only a Jewish rabbi, but as the perfect man to all men. Now he was a unique man, and here's this is the crux of my message today, men. But what kind of man does God want us to be? Now, man, I would like to be Peter. I think Peter was a dude. Right? He was the guy that was going to fight the whole army by himself. He, he was, what was he doing? He was out, he had his shirt off fishing when, when Jesus, when he'd gone away from Jesus uh, after, after the crucifixion. Peter was really something. He really was. And, you know, you, you watch, I don't know, The Patriot or Braveheart. Man, I would like to be William Wallace. How many would, wouldn't that be cool? Go into a battle and, you know, the Bible talks about David. David could walk into a battle, and he was a poet, and he was a musician, he was an amazing writer, and he could kick your tail. He was David. My goodness, I would love to be David. And then I watch Braveheart, and I say, "Uh uh-uh. I wouldn't last five minutes in that setting. I'm glad God called some wordy guys. Uh, I can identify more with Luke. I'm not smart enough to be a doctor, but but uh, uh, he, God's called me to use words, and I and he, He's given me a mind for logic and reason. And it, 
There was somebody else in the Bible like that. I don't have to be the big tough guy. I've got Wade to walk next to me. I don't, I don't he gave him a doctor. He gave me Wade. <laughs> and it's wonderful that there, guys, we don't have the chance to be killers <laughs> anymore. Well, you go and kill some animals, right? And all the guys said, hey, man, Jeff, where's Jeff? My in-laws sent us a picture. They had antelope at their salt lick this week. How about that? In Colorado, what's that? You have my permission to go out there and kill all the animals you want to. I'm just glad that in our culture, in the Gentile culture, in this era, I'm glad that God still provides warriors to the church. Right? We joke about Dave always being ready to kill somebody. He's out in the hallway right now watching somebody he can kill, I think. I don't know. I'm thankful that we have warriors in the church, right? I'm thankful for, for Jacob Finfrock, who is still serving. Josh uh, Spicer, still serving. Caleb in, in training. And I'm thankful for these men. Guys like Brian, uh, um, what's your last name? George. And the, these, I'm, I'm very thankful that we have warriors, actual warriors in the church. But I'm also thankful, and I'm not saying that they're not warriors who can think, but naming those guys, they really can't. So I'm thankful that God gave us those warriors, but he's also given us thinkers. I'm glad we have Michael back there, right? I'm glad we have the nerds in the sound booth. I'm glad he gave us Jacob. I'm glad Justin Yo. he helped so much. God brought thinkers, those kinds of men to the church, men who can think. I'm so thankful for Dr. Ree. How many of you are thankful that Dr. Ree could think, right? When, when he's delivering your child, it's good that he knows what he's doing. I will tell you this. When he was delivering Jacob, Jacob was coming a little slow. Dr. Ree and I are watching the ball game. <laughs> the Yankees are playing the, the Indians. We're watching, we're watching baseball. Laura said, hey, I'm down here. I'm, I'm at this end. I, I, but I'm thankful that, that God calls different types of men, and then gifts them for his service. Some guys like David, he gives it all. There are very few guys like that. Some of us, no one is, no one is calling me when they need to go to a fight, right? If they need somebody to talk, I'm your guy. Luke was a man who was, had facility with words, So let's look at how these kinds of men are used of God. But also, because Jesus is the perfect man, obviously Jesus had all of these gifts. And if we are going to be Christ-like, then you you more warrior types, these are things that you need to learn to bring into. There are arrows to add to your quiver. But for those of us, this is who we are, then we need to use these gifts for the Lord more excellently, more perfectly. Those are words that Luke would have used. So let's look at Luke. First of all, his gospel was a gospel of redemption. So redemption and pardon. Go back to Luke chapter 1. You should be there and look at verse 28. Luke 1 and verse 28. So this is when the angel appears to Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. What is this? Here's a sinner. And here comes God to a young lady and saying, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to do what? To bring in 
the one who would be the savior of the world. The savior. As a matter of fact, that's what she called him. Look at Luke 1 and verse 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. God my Savior. So it is a gospel of redemption. Let's let's read verse 46. So this is when Mary comes to Elizabeth and the, the Holy Spirit comes in her and she begins speaking. And, she, and Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth... All generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Notice she doesn't say holy is my name. Holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. And what immediately, God is taking this, this precious young girl and using her, and she says, thank you, God, for using me. Thank you for being my Savior. Mary needed a Savior, just like everyone else needs a Savior. And she recognized that God was her Savior. It's a gospel of redemption, but it's also a gospel of sympathy. A gospel of sympathy. Have you ever been to a doctor that didn't have a whole lot of sympathy or empathy? These are doctors that don't have a good bedside manner. And you go to them and you say, Doctor, I have a headache. Well, it might be a brain tumor. You could be dying by the end of the week. Or you might need an aspirin. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? You better know a doctor that doesn't have a good bedside manner. It's interesting how many surgeons are terrible with people. They're good at cutting them and repairing them. They're just not good at talking to them, right? And so it's a blessing that there are nurses or people that help, family doctors who can explain it all, that are kind of the go-between. But, man, I'm glad that surgeon knows what he's doing. How many would rather him know how to cut than know how to emote? Right? And so what, what Luke did, Luke was able to be very precise with his language, but you can tell he was a sympathetic companion. He was a good man to be with Paul, but the way that he presents Christ is Christ as the healer of broken bodies and the mender of broken hearts. So he was a, his was a gospel of sympathy. But not only that, it's a gospel of joy. So back in Luke chapter 1, the gospel of joy, verse 14. Luke 1, verse 14. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. It's full of angelic praise. Look at verse 20. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak. How about that? And it drops down to verse... Sorry, back, back in my notes here. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Can you imagine what that sounded like? What does the heavenly host sound like? That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Look at chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. It's a gospel of joy. Luke 15 and verse 7. 
I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need to repent. Man, when somebody gets saved, when someone comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, when they make that transaction, right? When they realize, i got to give my sin to the Savior, and the Savior gives me eternal life, what do the angels do? The angels, man, that's like when somebody scores, a, when your team scores a touchdown. The angels, it's better than touchdown Jesus at Notre Dame, Chris. It's better than that. It's when everybody starts shouting, hallelujah, a sinner has come home. That is the gospel of joy. That's what Luke brings about. Man, that's wonderful. Angelic praise, but it's also a gospel of thanksgiving. Herbert Lockyer wrote, The church continues the hymns of high praise that Luke taught us to sing. This beautiful language of the book of Luke, we have sung it for centuries. But not only is it the gospel of redemption and pardon, the gospel of sympathy, the gospel of joy, and the gospel of thanksgiving, It's the gospel of the Holy Spirit. So back to Luke chapter 1. So this is where the angel is announcing what John the Baptist will be. Verse 15, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And, of course, that is illustrated a little bit later, verse 35, when the angel comes to Mary. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Isn't it fun that the Holy Ghost is the power of the highest? You shall be endued with power from on high. Who's that? The Holy Ghost. So, the Holy Ghost shall come on thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Look at verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So this is fun. The baby in her was filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what it said in verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. So the baby in her was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then she was filled with the Holy Ghost. What does that tell us? That that baby is not part of her. Does that fit with any of the conversations that we're having right now? This is a life that is in the mother. Amen. And that was John. How many of you are thankful that, that Elizabeth didn't have an abortion? Yeah, amen, amen. Let's keep going. This is the the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 2 and verse 26. All right, so this is to Simeon. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this is the Holy Ghost preparing for the entrance of Jesus Christ and his beginning ministry. Chapter 3 and verse 22. This is the baptism of Jesus. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came on the body of Jesus Christ at that moment. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus begins his ministry with the Holy Spirit coming on him, and then he goes about doing his work as the perfect man through the power of the Holy Spirit 
teaching us, listen, as perfect men, how we are to do the work of the Lord. Did you know that when you get saved, you're perfect? You're like him. You are, your inner man is sinless. You're complete in him. But we're going to do the work, not in our flesh, because that's still sinful. We're going to do his work through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did it. Go to Luke chapter 24. Verse 49. We'll see when we get farther in chapter 1 of Acts chapter 1. Um, John MacArthur said, this is such a weird thing because Jesus rises from the dead. He teaches them. He, he, he begins to send them out, and then he puts the brakes on. Wait, wait. Verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So the, this book begins with the Holy Spirit, and it ends with, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit. It begins with the Holy Spirit, and wait for the Holy Spirit. So what should we learn to do? Wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't get out over your skis. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, go to the book of Acts. What a blessing it is that God used this amazing writer, Luke, to give us so much information about the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So this is the, the, the gospel of the Holy Ghost. And then when you get into the book of Acts, everything that these apostles did, now remember people try to say, it really ought to be called the Acts of the Holy Ghost. Well, the whole Bible is the Acts of the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts is how the Holy Ghost used men to accomplish his work and how those men did it through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what it's about. So what can we as men learn from Luke? What can we learn from Luke? That we need to be messengers of redemption and pardon. We need to be messengers of redemption and pardon. We need to be giving the gospel to people. As we raise our children, they need to understand judgment. Right? If, if, if your kids are not afraid of your wrath, you're not a good father. You don't need to be their friend. You need to be their dad. Now, praise the Lord. If you do that, then when they're adults, you can be their friend. And I'm thankful that's the relationship now that I'm able to have with my kids. They don't listen, right? They're not going to do what I tell them to do anymore, and there's no reason for them to. Now they're adults. They have their own homes. They're doing their own thing. But the relationship that I get to have with my children, it begins with them being afraid when, you're, when they're young. Dads, if you can speak to your children and correct them and they have no fear, you're messing up. You hear what I'm saying? When they hear, when, listen, how many of you remember what it was like, you're doing something you know you're not supposed to do and you hear your dad coming? Yeah. 
man, when I heard dad's belt jingle, he might have just been taking his belt off, but I thought it was coming for me because I was always doing something wrong. (laughs) I just want to stay there for a second, but I'm going to move on. I haven't talked about this in a long time. Dads, if your kids don't obey, you're not a good dad. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you tell your kids to do something and they don't obey, if your three-year-old can't sit down when you tell them to sit down, you're a terrible father. Fix it. You need some instruction on that? Let me know. I'll let you know how it is. That being said, once they're punished, there has to be redemption and pardon. The worst thing a father can do is hold a grudge. The the worst thing you can do. Do you remember what you said to me when you were six years old? You know what you're going to say? No. I was six. Redemption and pardon. Listen, there ought to be rules in your home. And your kids know they can't live in your house and behave that way. That's called a Christian home. Amen? But the door should always be open for redemption. Always. And not only redemption, but pardon. We will never speak of this again. I will never bring this up again. That's the kind of man we're supposed to be. Redemption and pardon. But not only that. The the, the first one's redemption and pardon. I think the next one's joy. No, no, sympathy. Sympathy. Now, we all know that when the kid falls off the bike, or Joe Biden does, when the kid, when the, when the kid falls off the bike, that mom, they run to mom for sympathy. They run to dad to fix the bike. Is that right? Oh, you'll be all right. Put some butter on it. You'll be okay. Man, Lydia fell off her bike one time. She was so terribly skinned up. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. And here comes Laura. She gets in and cleans it all and does all that stuff. And I wanted to go in the other room and cry. God didn't call me to be a doctor. Guys, our young men need somebody to say, get up, you'll be all right. And yet, we also need to be the one they can come to when they're in trouble. And that we can say, okay, you messed up. There's going to be consequences for your messing up. But now let's fix this thing. Let's get this right. That's when dad needs to have the answers. Amen? This is who we need to be. And Jesus Christ was the healer of bodies and the healer of hearts. And Luke is the one that communicated to that, that to us. But then the gospel of joy. Man, your home needs to be a place of joy. You dads, you need to be celebrating your kids' accomplishments, celebrating what they do. When they get the training wheels off, they're going back on Biden's. But when, you, when the training wheels come off and we're able to, to, they're able to celebrate that. You know, not every kid can hit a fastball. Celebrate 
Whatever their accomplishments are, sell, make it be a place of joy where they know that dad loves them and dad's proud of them and dad encourages them. But ye shall be endued with power from on high. This is what God is going to do for you. God has a special plan for you. Joy and then thanksgiving. God, thank you for the life that we have. Not me in this house. I can't stand this house. Can't believe we've got to live in this place. Be, man, can you believe God lets us have this? His gospel is a gospel of thanksgiving, angelic praise. Our homes need to be a place of praise where we praise. that They need to see you praising their mother. They need, your young men need to see how to treat a lady, how to elevate her, how to treat her as the weaker vessel, how to treat her as someone special. They need to see that at home. Man, I'll tell you, one time my brother, my, my, some of you have heard this, my brother was 16, he's kind of full of himself. And my dad had a shop, church planter, he did furniture repair, and his shop was outside of our bedroom wall, just right here. Mom told my brother to get out of bed. She, he, he said something mean to my mom. Next thing you know, dad's there, dragged my brother out of his top bunk by his foot. He got, dad punched him in the face. Went flying back. He said, nobody talks to my wife that way. You want to talk that way? Talk. Oh, my goodness. And I'm on the bottom bunk saying, yes. <laughs> He's bigger than me. I wanted to do that. I couldn't do that. My brother's the warrior. I'm the word guy. Oh, man, that was awesome. Now, I know that there's some people here saying, boy, that's child abuse. You, that should have gone. Do you know how much better... Do you know how much better our world would be if teenage boys got punched in the face when, by their dads instead of going to jail or getting some other kind of trouble down the road? Now, I would have done that to Jacob, but his braces were too expensive. So we, 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 never, we never did that. But do you know what we learned? Man, nobody was going to talk to my mom that way. We learned how, how to treat a lady. We, we learned those things at home. And that, that being thankful for her, all of those things, that, that needs to be the way it is at home. And then the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Men, your children need to see a spirit-filled dad. You know, you might not be the wordsmith. You know, it, I guess Harry Truman was known for uh, very few words. He came back from church one Sunday, and they said, what did the preacher preach on? Sin. What did he say about it? He's against it. <laughs> you know, that, that's a lot of men. That's the way that they communicate. You might not be a, a wordy person, but your family needs to know that you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to have a Holy Spirit-filled home, and that starts with Dad. That starts with Dad. How is that manifested? Well, be not drunk with wine, so don't get drunk. That's a good start. And then... Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs. So how, what does a Spirit-filled home look like, men? Well, that, that you have Christian music and that your, your, your children know that you know the Lord. And it's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You have Scripture in your house and that it's controlled by Scripture. Dad, why can't we do this? Well, the Bible says, well, so-and-so is doing it. Well, they don't live in this house. This house is controlled by Scripture. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? So you have that, and then you love your wife. That's the next thing. Husbands, love your wives. If you're spirit-filled, you're going to love your wife. 
That's what it is. And then ladies, you submit to your husband. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. And then children, you obey your parents. That, that's, that's the spirit-filled home. That's, that's what it looks like. So what can we learn from Luke? What can we learn from the bookie guy? The, 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 the non-warrior guy. What can we learn from him? We can learn the gospel of redemption and pardon, the gospel of sympathy, the gospel of joy, the gospel of thanksgiving, and the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Man, I think that's a pretty good Father's Day message. We can't all be the tough guy. We can't all be that. But we can all be men of God. And God, we need all of us. We need the thoughtful guys. We need the warriors. We need the, the mechanical guys who can think. We need the, the Joe Spradlins, the Andy Joins. We, we need you guys, the Doug Schmidt Myers. We need you guys that, that are able to work with your hands. We need you musical guys. You know, uh, Scott up here and Matt and Luke and all, all of these guys, Bill and, and Jim. We need you musical guys. And, of course, the, the leader of all ministries, um, Jet Blackford, the, the star of all of them. We need you guys. We need you. Some of you guys, you're emotional. Man, sermon, you're going to be crying. You're, you're right there with guys. You have that sympathy. Some of you other guys, you're the robots. You're the, you know, the, the facts. Yeah. Well, that looks like that's going to need stitches. I'd say 32. You know, we, we need all of you guys. Amen? Amen? Let's be that. Let's all stand together. Most important thing is make sure that you're saved. Make sure that you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. That's the most important thing. And guys, isn't it cool that we don't all have to be like each other? That is awesome. That, I think that's fantastic. I don't have the gifts that some of you guys have. I don't have that. You know, Chad can run into a fire. He can do manage a fire department. Can teach people. Can I don't have the the skills. If you're hurt, he can. He's almost like a doctor. He can he can fix these things. Raise beautiful daughters. Drive his wife crazy. Can do all those things. We have all different kinds of men. Isn't that a blessing? You don't have to be like anyone else, but how many of you think all of us need these characteristics that were identified here? Let's take these things home. Let's be these kinds of dads. Let's sing this together.